Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we are going to finish this chapter this morning. We'll be taking verses 15 to 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Listen to the word of God as Paul writes to the Thessalonians. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. There ends the reading of God's errant word this morning. Join with me in prayer before we tackle our text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you that you have given us your word so that we can know you. You have given us your word in human language with the expectation that we understand it. And we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to, to help us interpret it and therefore we can know truth for sure. And so this morning, again, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. I pray that you would use your word as you see fit, whether to soften, to harden, to encourage, to rebuke, to, to lift up. And so I pray this morning that you will work in our midst. May your Holy Spirit teach us, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we have been going through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and we said it was a book of comfort, a book, a book about comfort. And so in chapter 1, we certainly saw that he comforted them in, in the area of persecution, and he prayed for them and comforted them. As we come to chapter 2 then, he begins to give them comfort, and we would say also correction about future events. He begins to speak to them about the day of the Lord. And he wants to give them correction and comfort because they have been upset. And in fact, in verse beginning of the chapter, they are quickly shaken from their composure and disturbed because they've received either by a letter or by a spirit or by a message, which they think is coming either from God or from the missionaries, that they are presently in the day of the Lord. And so Paul writes to them and he wants to give this correction and comfort and tell them, actually, you're not in the day of the Lord. Even though you received a letter from us, you are quickly shaken from the teaching that I gave you in 1 Thessalonians when I told you that you would be, what, raptured and that you were not destined in chapter 5 for the day of the Lord. You will not face the wrath of God. And so he continues through this and he really says to them, don't be deceived. There are certain things that will demonstrate to you that you are in the day of the Lord. And if those things are present, if the great apostasy and the man of sin is revealed, you'll know you're in the day of the Lord. Look around. They're not here. It's not happening. You're not in the day of the Lord. And just to make sure that they recognize that they're not in the day of the Lord and there's nothing that they, that they can see that they're not in the day of the Lord, he then explains to them the, we would say, 
the, um, I lost my train of thought, <laughs> that he says, I want to show you what's going to happen during the career of the Antichrist. I want, you to, I want to show you the things that will take place to encourage you. I want you to know, I want you to see his, his career, how long it's going to be, his entrance into, into time and space, that he is being held back, his end, God will end him, that he's empowered by Satan and he will ultimately entrap those who don't love the truth. And so he warns them as he continues on, don't be unbelieving. Don't be those who will be caught up. Don't be those who are deceived. Don't be those who God will ultimately what, send a delusion on. Because God will ultimately give the unbeliever exactly what they want. If they want their sin and they continue to insist on it, God will give it to them. And he says, God will then send a delusion so that they will believe the lie. They will believe that the Antichrist, when he comes, is the Messiah, and they will embrace him. And ultimately, they will be those who what? Perish. They are headed for judgment. So last week, he said, don't be uncertain. In other words, recognize because God is sovereign in salvation, because he is the one who works out and has decided your salvation, you are not destined for judgment. He said, you are those who are beloved by God. He set his love upon you in eternity past. He chose you. He saved you. He called you. He and he says, ultimately, your destiny is what? To be glorified to be glorified. So now as he ends this chapter, and, and remember, he's coming as, as comfort. He's saying to them, I want you to recognize, and, and I, want you to, I want to exhort you to be strong. I don't want you to be weak. I want you to be strong, and I want you to recognize that there's something that you need to do. Yes, God has saved you. God is sovereign in that, and he will bring it about. But there's something that you need to do on your part and there's something that's going to take place between the beginning of your salvation and the ultimate end of your salvation and there's something that you need to do and you need to be strong. And he says, first of all, in, in verse 15, you need to be strong in doctrine or strong in the word of God. Hold to the traditions that you've been given. Don't give them up. We already saw what happened in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, be strong. And then in verse 15 and, and verses 16 and 17, he prays for them. And he really says, be strong in the comfort of God. In other words, here's the source of the power that it will enable you to be strong. Here's, the, here's what will be able to comfort your hearts and not get upset when people come and bring false doctrine, when people say you're in the day of the Lord, when people say all sorts of things, guess what? God will comfort your heart. This is where you need to go because you won't, holding on to sound doctrine won't be enough. You'll need the God who wrote the sound doctrine to empower you to be able to live. And so this morning, we'll simply break our text down into that. Strong in doctrine, strong in the comfort of God. And we'll see that. And so Paul is writing this again to comfort the Thessalonians so that they will not be upset around the day of the Lord and the idea of facing God's wrath. So Paul begins in 
verse 15, and he says, So then, brethren, he transitions. As a result of, as a result of what I just told you, as I just told you about what God has done for you, that you are beloved by him, that he's called you, that he has, he has chosen you, he has saved you, and that he has glorified you. In light of all of those truths, there's still something that needs to be done here. And again, brethren are, is again an address here to those who are in the family of God. It's a family term, but also he's also recognizing that all those who were saved in verse 13 and 14 are what? Brethren, because brethren are those who, are, who have been saved sovereignly by the God of verse 13 and 14. So Paul now gives them two commands, two commands for that they need to do. And again, he says, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Stand firm and hold the traditions which you have been given. Now, these are both commands. They're, they're the imperative tense. In other words, these is not optional. This is something that requires effort on your part. Because if, he, if it was something that just happened, he wouldn't need to give a command, would he? That's why I ask my children to clean their rooms. It does not seem to happen automatically, right? So too, right, with this, we will not stand fast. We will not hold firm unless we what? Put some effort into it. And he says, stand firm and keep standing firm. In other words, continue to stand firm, keep a tight grip on the teaching. This is something to be a, a lifestyle. Now the word steadfast, the word stetko, can mean just to stand, but is often used and pictured of an army that refuses to retreat even though it is being assaulted by the enemy. Figuratively, it means simply to, per to persevere, remain, to continue in a state. And he says, you as believers need to be unchanging. You need to be hanging on, remaining in the state where you are, re remaining where you were when you received truth. Don't be shaken. Don't go all over the place. And again, this positive command is, goes on the heels of, chapter, of the appeal in chapter 2, verse 2. That you have not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. The reason he needs to call them to be steadfast is because they what? They weren't steadfast. They didn't hold. They were, they were quickly, quickly shaken. Doesn't mean after a short time of receiving the truth, but rather it speaks to the quality of their actions. They were reacting hastily and rashly responding to this new teaching. They got all excited and they just quickly went off. Instead of sitting there and contemplating and saying, maybe I should consider that. That doesn't sound like what Paul said when he was here. That's not what Paul wrote in his first letter. They just rashly went with it and got all bent out of shape. In fact, it says they lost their composure. They lost their minds. They were shaken. The idea here is, is of a ship that loses its moorings or a ship that's bouncing in the waves. They were flopping everywhere. They panicked. They were disturbed. It literally means alarmed out of fear, frightened. 
You can, it's almost as if there was audible cries. They were, they were distressed about this. And so far from being steadfast, far from staying where they were and not being shaken, they quickly moved. And Paul says, you need to be steadfast. You need to stay where you're at. You need to actually have some composure. They left the principles of their teaching and were controlled by emotion rather than being controlled by truth. So Paul says, be steadfast. Don't be someone who's just vacillating all over the place. Be steadfast. Well, the question then is, how do you stay steadfast? You know, appreciate you telling me to uh, be steadfast, Pastor, but it's, how, how does that actually happen? Well, I think he gives us a clue with his next command here. How do we remain unmoved? How do we remain firm? By holding fast to the traditions that have been passed down. In other words, it is, this, is, this is how you stay steadfast is by holding, standing firm, or holding to the traditions which you were taught. Pretty simple. If the Thessalonians had done that earlier, they wouldn't have been, what, quickly, quickly shaken, right? They wouldn't have been all disturbed and all upset. The word hold here means to exert physical with physical or mental strength. And he's saying, I want you to exert mental strength to hang on, to have a grip on the traditions which you were taught. In other words, you've already received the traditions. Now you have a duty to keep them. Now, we hear the word traditions and we, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. For some of us, we think, well, that sounds pretty much like the Roman Catholic Church, right? They've got all the written traditions that are handed down by the fathers and they're as authoritative as scripture. And we look at other cults and other religions and they have, they have their person that they follow. Even in our churches, there's the creeds that are passed down, right? Often the creeds become more important than the word of God because what do we believe? Well, go to the creed instead of the word of God. Well, traditions simply means handing down or passing on to hand over. Now, it's used in a couple different ways in the New Testament. It's used to refer to the rabbinical traditions of the, of the elders, the oral teachings of the Pharisees, which received monstrous and harmful development in the time of Christ. Christ spoke to them and rebuked them in Matthew 15. He says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? This is the Pharisees, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your what? Tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of what? Your tradition. 
You hypocrites, rightly Isaiah prophesied of you. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines, what? The precepts of men. So there are traditions that are harmful. There are man-made traditions. It's what Paul talked about in the heretical teaching that invaded the Colossians, the Colossians church in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So there is in the, in the New Testament traditions that are not to be followed, but there are traditions that are to be followed. Paul's word here refers to a, a, diff, a tradition that is found in Scripture, the true God-given gospel message to the very doctrines that Paul taught to the Thessalonians when he came there, the, the teachings that he handed down 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Now we command you, brother, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to what? The traditions which you what? Receive from us. In other words, Paul is saying there is, there is, there is teaching that we have given to you, apostolic teaching. These are the traditions that you are to keep. Their conversion had been accompanied by a definite doctrinal instruction by the missionaries. Clearly, Paul believed in grounding his converts in the faith, and they, was, they were expected to keep it. As one writer says, there never was a time in Christianity that it was an undogmatic religion. We often have this idea that Christianity is kind of this, is, is, is this kind of this easygoing religion where we don't have to take things too seriously. We don't want doctrine to divide us and we want to be careful. But Christianity has never been undogmatic. There's only one truth. There's the truth of the word of God and we must find it. And it is dogmatic and it must be followed. And Paul says, find the traditions in scripture and what? Keep them. Keep them. It was, again, speaking of the gospel, Paul's message when he came to the Corinth. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word which I have preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul says, what, I, what I'm teaching you, I didn't make up. This didn't come out of my imagination. This isn't something that I thought up. This wasn't something that was taught to me by some human being or some philosopher. But rather, this, I received it from who? God. And that's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul said in Galatians 1.12, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle, 
apostle of time was taught by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so he received it, not from men, but from God. Is these traditions of divine revelation that he passed to the Thessalonians? And he says, whether by what? By mouth or as a letter from us. Again, the us qualifies both. Both of these teachings came from Paul and the missionaries, whether by mouth or by letter. They were given either orally or in writing. And so Paul says, listen, what I taught you, you need to keep on to. What you received in my letter, you need to what? You need to keep. Now, it's kind of astonishing to think about this because this, this letter is written several months after the first letter. He had just taught them about the day of the Lord and he had just taught them about the rapture and he had just taught them about those events that were coming and already they had what? Abandoned it. And so Paul now says, listen, hang on, stand firm and take a strong grip on what I've taught you. Don't be swayed away from it. And so Paul says, and and remember, Paul's an apostle. What I taught you in oral instructions is from God. In other words, when I taught you, I taught you the truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit, and it's authoritative on you. Now, we don't have apostles today, so we have no one in order to give us apostolic teaching that has the authority of the Word of God. In fact, Revelation is closed. There is no more revelation from God. Everything that was revealed by God that you need for life and godliness is right here in the Word of God. You want to hear the Holy Spirit speak, read the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. He wrote it to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to hear the voice of God, then go to the Scriptures and the indwelling Holy Spirit will will reveal the truths of the Word of God and therefore you will hear the Holy Spirit and the, the voice of God. But what we do have today is what the written Word of God We now have God's word revealed to us. It is the treasure that's to be guarded. 2 Timothy 1.14 Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which was entrusted to you. O Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.20 Guard what was entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And so we are called again, to guard the Word of God, to keep the Word of God. We are to hang on to the what, as Jude 3, the faith once delivered. Now, we want to make sure that we're not like the Thessalonians who's heard the word of God, taken the word of God, taught the word of God, and then are quickly and hastily removed from the word of God. We want to be a church that goes to the word of God, 
understands the word of God and then stands on the word of God. Now, we don't have a lot of traditions at Bowmanville Baptist Church. Our, maybe our greatest tradition is fellowship luncheon. But we don't have a lot of, we don't have creeds. We don't have a lot of tradition that comes down. But we need to be careful that we don't add our own traditions in our own minds. Whether it be things, the way that we like things done. Whether we start being influenced by the world around us. Where we start to take things like psychology. Where we start to take the church growth movement whatever that is, and start planting those ideas on the Word of God, and we start to leave these things. Because there's a tendency for us to say, we've heard that stuff before. And we get restless in our hearts, and we, and we start to think, well, we want to hear something new. This guy just keeps saying the same things. There's got to be a new way to do stuff. Look at what everybody else is doing. And it's easy to get pulled away from the word of God. And Paul says, stand firm. Don't be shaken from it. Hold fast. When you get the truth of the word of God, hang on to it. Don't look for something new. Look for the riches of what you've already, in what you've already discovered. Hang on to those. Don't be moved. And I'm telling you this, though we'll not face the day of the Lord, and we can take comfort in that, we are headed for troubled times. And it is only as we hold to the word of God and its truths that we will be able to get through. This will give us the guiding principles. This will tell us how to behave. This will tell us God's promises. This will give us the true gospel. We'll see the true church. And so we must be those who hang on steadfast and firm. Let us not be be like the Thessalonians who were quickly shaken, who quickly abandoned the word. Paul says, hang on. Hang on even to the fact that God is sovereign in salvation. That should give you comfort. Hang on to all the things that I taught you because they are right and true. They will keep you from getting flustered. You won't be all of a sudden thinking, I've done everything wrong. I've got this new information and we've been doing everything wrong. When you hear that, when you you see that, when you hear that, what you're hearing is false teaching. We've been doing it wrong all the time. Yes, if the church has been wrong for 2,000 years, then you're saying that the church is completely wrong. Now, much of the visible church has been, but the core doctrines never change, never change. So we must hang on. So Paul says, be strong in doctrine. And then he says, be strong in the comfort of God, in God's comfort. He says, now may the Lord of our Now now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts 
in every good work and word. Now, it's one thing to say, you need to stand fast, to stand firm, to be strong. But ultimately, we know this, that if we hang on to the traditions of the Word of God, even if we've got them right, and we do it in our own strength, it won't happen. And you can, you can read the Word of God, and you can be, look at the truths of the Word of God, but if the Holy Spirit and if God is not working in your heart to confirm them to you, it will bring you no comfort at all. And if the Holy Spirit is not working in your heart and God is not revealing these truths to you and, and, and building your convictions on it, then you're just going to be frustrated. And you're going to become a little bit angry because you say, well, I see it on the paper. I, I know it to be true, but it doesn't affect my life at all. And the reality is, is because you actually don't believe it. Because your emotions go with your belief system. In other words, until the Holy Spirit convinces you of the truth and until God brings you comfort, it will never actually be comfort. And it actually might turn the Word of God and the truths of the Word of God into taunting. And like Martin Luther, when he talked about, the, about having to be justified and pure before God, he was what? Angry because he knew he couldn't do it until he realized that God was the one who gave him his righteousness. And if we look at God's truths without his empowerment, they can actually taunt us because there's promises there that just escape us. But Paul says in this section, be strong in God's comfort. God is the one who will ultimately bring comfort to you. He's the one who will convince you of these truths. He says, now may our Lord and Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. And again, he reverses the order from earlier. He puts Jesus Christ and he gives him his full title. And he says, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it's a personal thing, and God our Father, both making them equal, putting them on equal footing. And then he says, who loved us and has given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace and he says this is the one who first who what who loved us he's the one who set his love upon us both of them the lord jesus christ and god the father have set their love upon us and given us eternal comfort and hope and again the idea is both of these persons in the in the godhead are working together and are doing the same thing Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He who sees me, he says in John 12, sees the one who what? Sent me. They are seen as working together. Jesus said to him, how long have I been with you? And as he's speaking to Philip, and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Is through the Son that the Father revealed himself. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the, knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom what? The Son wills to reveal him. 
No one knows the Father unless the Son reveals it. And so they are working together in salvation and the events that took place as Christ came to earth, died on the cross, rose again, and God extended his love to us. And again, us includes not just the Thessalonians, but the missionaries, and then ultimately all who have been saved by Christ. And again, this love points back to God's work on the cross. He says, he's given you what? The gift of eternal uh, comfort. The gift of eternal uh, comfort. And again, it it is a present possession of the believer. It is is a comfort that's here. It's not one that goes away. It's one that continues to be on you. It's not like the one that the world offers that's fleeting. It's the idea of encouragement. There's the idea of comfort and encouragement. And he says, God gives you encouragement and comfort, and it is something that now extends from your salvation and continues into the age to come. Rather than be perishing, you have the comfort of knowing, the consolation of knowing your future. And it's something that you may have now. He calls it eternal. And again, the idea is that this, this comfort never ends. It's permanent, goes into future glory. And so he says, this comfort is for you. This is what God does for you. He comforts your soul. He, he makes you so that you are encouraged. And then he says, not only does he give you comfort, but good hope. Good hope. When we hear of hope, we are, in the modern idea of hope, is it's kind of a wish. It's kind of a, a hope in the fact that you're not sure that it's going to happen, but maybe it will happen. There's no real assurance of getting what you desire. But for the believer, it's sure. It's based on the promises of God. It's based on the character of God. And so hope is not, is not some wish and a prayer and a Hail Mary, but it is rather the, tr- uh, the trusting in God's promises and his character that what he has said will come to pass. And so there's not... There's a certainty there. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So it's a confident expectation with a hope to the future. And so we look forward to all the promises that God has promised us, that he will bring us glory, that he will bring all the pro- that he will continue to be with us in the future. That, he will, that salvation will come to full realization. And so we have hope. We have hope now in this life because God says he will be with us, that he will comfort us. We have hope in the future because he will return and come for us. Finally, we just notice this little word good hope, this word good refers to what is morally and practically good because it's beneficial. He says, this hope is is, is a good hope. 
it's good for you. It's good morally. It's good practically. There may be other kinds of hope in the world, but this hope is good. And then notice this. This comfort and this hope comes by what? By grace. It's an extension of God's grace. It's not given on the basis of human merit. It's not bestowed on... It is bestowed on those who are undeserved. It is given on the basis of the redemptive work of Christ. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We, we can't attain it on our own. But we are objects of God's love and therefore he has given us comfort and hope and is extended to us by his grace. So Paul says, be strong in the comfort of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father are working from eternity past as they set their love upon us and sending our Lord Jesus Christ. We now have eternal comfort. We won't face the wrath of God. We have hope for the future extended to us by the grace extended by God. And now Paul really gives us the result of this comfort as he really gets down to his request. He says, comfort, he says, hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Again, he says, I want this to be part, part of your life. This should be continually being comforted and strength. And this is what I want for you. I want the Lord Jesus Christ and the God the Father to comfort you. In other words, unlike what happened in chapter 2 when you got all excited and were concerned about the day of the Lord, I want you to be strong. I want your hearts to be, to be encouraged. I want you to have strength. And then he says, I want, I want to, and, and I want him to strengthen your hearts in every good work. I want him to make, encourage your hearts. I want to, your hearts to be strengthened, to be established, to be unshakable, to be empowered. And he says, I want your hearts to be empowered in every good work and word. In other words, there's, there's going to be a result of God's comfort in your life. In other words, when God is gi- giving you this, ultimately it's going to express itself. And he says, this comfort that comes and this strengthening is by God's grace. And as we understand grace, we understand his comfort even more. And he will be the one that will enable us to stand and to have hearts that are strong. Because they have been, we've been built up in the inner man. We have been, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says, in every good work and word. In other words, there's, there's going to be an expression of the strengthening, and it's going to come out in works and word. Now notice this, he's reversed the order here. Normally he says words and work. But Paul starts with what? Work here. Now, we certainly know that works don't save us. For by grace we are saved through faith, and what? That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, what? Not of works. But we also know that saving faith does not 
results in work, right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk. What? Walk in them. Not that you might. Not that you could. But that you will. And Paul says, as we stay here, and as God comforts our heart, and as he continues to strengthen us, it should result in what? Good works. That should be who we are. In other words, works comes before words because as we live the Christian life, number one, we should actually be living what we believe and therefore it should be being demonstrated in our lives so that when we open our mouths, we have ordained the gospel so people, there's, a, there's an attractiveness and a legitimacy to what we say. Now we know that God is sovereign and he saves and he saves in spite of us, even in spite of what we say. But Paul says, first, there needs to be a response in behavior. Your salvation is sovereignly given to you by God so that you will have the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts now in this life as we start to be sanctified. He says, in holding to the traditions and being having the Holy Spirit work in you, it's going to produce what? Works. And so he says, we need to be working. The words, works and words must go together. If you're all work but never open your mouth, people will think you're a good person. Right? They'll think you're a good person. Never, but never think that your good works will, will cause people to come to salvation. You may restore their faith in humanity, but they will never turn to God because of your good works. Right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. People aren't saved by your good life. Now you're still supposed to live it. You're supposed to live it in the power of God. And people won't realize that your good works are because your Christ saved you. Never think that people are going to look at you and say, he must be a Christian. They're just going to say that's a good human being. If you're all words but no works, people will rightly think you're a hypocrite and that the gospel doesn't change anything. But our work should open the door so that we can speak. And so Paul says, this is what you do to be strong. Ultimately, be comforted by God. Be, have his strength, him strengthen you and start producing good works and words. And when you're busy about the Lord's work and speaking the Lord's words, you just don't have time to be all upset about the false doctrines that are coming down the pike and about people telling you that you're in the day of the Lord or you're going to face the wrath of God because you're so settled in the traditions of the word of God and so filled with God's empowerment that you're just simply going to be what? You're going to be the one who's working and whose words are going to be spoken. And one of your greatest protections from getting false doctrine and, and getting influenced is to be a what? An influencer. 
to be an influencer. Because when you are hanging on the Word of God, empowered by God and comforted by Him, and your life reflects it when you speak, you'll be the influencer rather than being influenced. And when the false letter comes and the false ideas come, you'll be like, mm-mm. And God will use you to make sure that others don't quickly get shaken. So Paul calls us to action. Be strong in the comfort of the Lord. I trust this morning that that is the prayer of our hearts. That we long to be strong in the word and strong in the comfort of our Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these truths that Paul has laid out for us. And I pray that we would be strong, that we would not be quickly shaken from the truths that are revealed in your word. Recognizing that your truth brings comfort. That knowing what is true and right and what is happening is one of the ways that you have given to us that we might be comforted. And I pray that we would be those who would be filled with the Spirit, that we would be filled with the comfort of God and strengthened, and so that we might live lives that are pleasing to you until you come, I pray. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.